this week we've begun our Advent season. And so we're in Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8, the, the, the verses that the Servany family just read. And this Advent season, we're, we're in a sermon series titled Echoes of a Voice. And it's pulled from N.T. Wright's book, uh, Simply Christian. And so in the beginning, he talks about these echoes that are seen throughout humanity. And so we're going to hit these four things as we lead up to Christmas and the advent of the Christ. This Advent season is all about hope and expectation. And for uh, our culture, many of them are hoping that they were good enough this year that they're going to get what they want, right? That they made it to the nice list. Um, And so we have this kind of line that says, hey, above this, you're going to get what you want, and below this, you're not. You're going to get coal, (laughs) And so that is our culture. And yet as Christians, we, we don't believe that that's true. We believe that, that the Advent is not the coming of, of um, gifts or food or time off that we desperately need or even time with family, even though family is this beautiful gift that we have. All of these things are, are gifts. But really what we look forward to, what our hope and expectation is, is that the good gift giver comes. The one who everything good comes from. Jesus himself came and was born in a manger and, and lived a perfect life. And we've, we've looked at that perfect life in our time in Mark. And so we get to kind of backtrack a little bit. And remember that when Jeremiah is speaking and when the prophets are speaking of old, they only have an expectation of Jesus. They don't know what he's going to come and be like. They, they have the words that God is giving them to proclaim but they don't have the reality of Jesus. Today, you might say, well, neither do I. I don't have the reality of Jesus. Like, I don't get to see him face to face. But Jesus has come and he's inaugurated that kingdom. He's begun. He's completed the work to establish the kingdom. And he's bringing the people into the kingdom. And so today, if you are in Christ, then you have the reality of that. But there's more to be brought in. And so even as we look at Jeremiah and this this final proclamation that he makes in the passage of what will God be known for? I just want to leave that there as we think and as we listen. What is the question? What is the reputation of God? What will he be known for? And so we'll get there at the end. When we begin uh, this Advent series, I just want to read a, a synopsis and it's out of the uh, Advent guide, but it, it, it's succinct and helps us orient where we're going. It says, God's voice is mighty. He speaks with power and authority. He spoke the world into existence. That's what we believe. The world we live in is full of audible evidence of God. These indirect echoes of God's voice as we walk through nature as we experience the love of a friend and play freely, when we hear these echoes, we're reminded of the way that God intended things to be. We're also reminded that we want more of that goodness, that it's not enough, that it doesn't completely satisfy. We, we always hunger for more, but our world is broken and sinful. Things are not always good. We hear just the echo of what God has called us to be, the way He intends things to be. In the season of Advent, we learn to see how God is starting to make things right. At the first Advent, when Jesus came as a baby, 
Jesus set in motion the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth. That's what we've looked at in all of Mark. The proclamation of the kingdom of God is at hand, and it's established. And yet, we still await and long for the second advent, when Jesus will return. On that day, we will no longer hear only the echoes of God's design, but see him face to face as his design becomes reality. In Advent, we pay attention to these longings. We hear these echoes. We, we think about like that there's a beauty here. And we take those, that longing and it points to Jesus. So today, when we hear the echoes, we realize that what we really want is to hear directly from God. Not just the reflection of his voice in the world. Only he can fulfill the longings we experience because he was the one who first spoke them. We long for justice, and we find that Christ brings us hope. We hunger for relationships, and we find that relationship with Christ brings us peace. We are on a quest for spirituality, and we find that Christ gives us faith. We delight in beauty, and we find that Christ brings us true joy, as he is truly beautiful. So over the next four weeks, that's where we're going to be. This first week, we're looking at this longing for justice and Christ bringing us hope. Next week, we look at the hunger for relationships and finding that our true relationship is satisfied when we have a relationship with Christ. That longing, that hunger is satisfied with Christ. And then the third week, we, qu- we have a quest for spirituality, something deeper, something more than, than what is, can be felt or touched. And we find that Christ gives us the gift of faith. And finally, we delight in beauty and we find that Christ brings us true joy because he is truly beautiful. And so this morning, we are looking at our longing for justice. N.T. Wright writes it this way. He says, our passion for justice often seems like that. It seems like a dream. We dream the dream of justice. We glimpse for a moment a world at one, a world put to rights, a world where things work out where societies function healthily, where I not only know what I ought to do, but I actually do it. And then we wake up and come back to reality. But what are we hearing when we are dreaming that dream? Let's pray and ask that God would give us uh, ears to hear. Even as we take this internal thing that's, that's this longing in us and we put words to it, that Jeremiah puts words to it, I pray that we would have ears to hear today and eyes to see. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have um, spoken to us through the prophet Jeremiah. Lord, we pray that we would hear both the woe, both the call to repentance, both the, the recognition of a need of something outside of ourselves, and then we would see the hope, that we would hear the hope that you would come and you would be faithful to your promise. That our salvation does not rely on our faithfulness, but on a faithful God. Oh God, that's good news today, and I pray that we would hear it. That we would go out with joy, unspeakable joy. Lord, remind us again of the joy of our salvation this morning. Lord, may that joy, be an impetus, be be something that would drive us to proclaim your goodness to others who need to hear it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Jeremiah 23, you might say, man, how does that even tie? 
How are we going to get to this longing for justice and seeing it in Christ? When you start in the Old Testament and you start with all of these things about longings and feelings, well, good news, we get to go back to uh, something that is forever, something that sustains. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8. The first thing we see in our passage is, is we see that there is an injustice that's being done. This world is broken. Verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will tend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Listen, whenever we talk about the gospel, we start with bad news. There's a, there's a bad news, there's a truth about who we are as people. And, and when you look at this and it's pointing to shepherds, it's talking about the religious leaders of that day. And so the condemnation that's being brought upon them, that the announcement, pronouncement of judgment that's being brought upon them is for those who should know what's right. Those who should be leading the sheep, who should be guiding them, who should be steering them. And so that's, that's a pronouncement to the religious leaders, I think, uh, because of where they're at as a nation state, as a um, uh, a religious state, that's also for the kings. That's also for those who are in power. The ones that God has established to sit on the thrones. So when you think about any, any of the leadership of countries, this proclamation is upon them. They have neglected the duties that they were called to. The, the priests, the ones who are supposed to tend and care for the people of God, have done things other than that and abused that power. And so this proclamation, while it was thousands of years ago, is still for us today. Listen, I, I'm, I am a perpetrator of these same sins. I have used the people of God for my own advantage. We all have. We all fall into this category. We are sinners, desperately in need of salvation. Psalm 100 verse 3, in case you think that, uh, in case you're having some issues, maybe you didn't grow up on a farm, I know I didn't, but you're trying to figure out, hey, what is he talking about with sheep? Psalm 100 verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. When you see sheep and shepherds throughout Old Testament history, sheep will often refer to the people of God, and shepherds would be those that God has established and put over those people to lead them in paths of righteousness, to lead them in ways where they should walk differently from the culture and the societies around them. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Listen, it's not isolated to just Jeremiah. Many of the prophets... And I think that's why I often skip over the prophets. Pronounce this truth. That people have failed. That the people that were appointed to lead and to guide have failed. Zechariah chapter 7 verses 8 through 11 say this. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus does the Lord of hosts render true judgments. 
Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. Listen, that's us. I know it's us because it was us this morning in my house. As we argued and fought over what we wanted, we were those people that were stopping our ears so that we would not hear the goodness and kindness of God, that He has come and He is our righteousness. Verse 9 says, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Even as we hear a woe to shepherds, this woe is to all the people of God's flock. It's, it's a pronouncement that we have not shown mercy. We have not shown kindness to one another. We've sought our own gain. We've sought what would make us comfortable. We've sought our own reputation. We have sought for control over things that we can't control. And then we've been frustrated and angry and, and vindictive towards those around us when we haven't gotten those things. No amens. I get it. No expectation there, but, but it's true. We can look back on our, on our week and remember those times where we've, we've been angry, we've been frustrated. And so the first proclamation is that we need a Savior. You see, the, these shepherds, they needed a, a better shepherd. And so we continue in our passage and we see that, that Christ, that God promises a better shepherd, a good shepherd, one who would bring justice. So how do we know what is just and what is unjust? Like, How do we know when something is wrong, when something... Uh, Besides scripture, let, let's say there's people, because not only do Christians know what is just and unjust, but all of society is looking for justice to be performed, right? We look at the news and we see all of these high profile criminal cases and different things that are going on. And there's a desire and a longing for justice, for things to be set right, to be made right. Well, the Bible gives us an explanation of that. Bible tells us how that can be possible. It says that we were created in the image of God. This imago Dei is a huge piece. So that means that every person who is made, all of humanity, those who believe and those who don't believe, were made in the image of God. And so inside of them, there is an understanding that there should be justice and fairness and righteousness. The problem becomes that those who do not believe in God, seek that justice and fairness and righteousness and other things. They long for um, a, a, a leader who will lead in those things. They think that maybe education could, could fix that idea that, that if we just were educated enough, we would all treat each other fairly and with equality. If we did all of those things, maybe it's a political party, maybe it's a movement, maybe it's a, it, it, it's a religion other than Christianity. But all of us long for things to be made right. 
in his book, Simply Christian, and he writes, says, you don't have to teach children about fairness and unfairness. A sense of justice comes with the kit of being human. We know about it, as we say, in our bones. It's in us. He gives the illustration of sitting at a park, and it just it doesn't take long until an argument breaks out. That somebody was unfair. That something happened that wasn't right. That's how we are created, and we know it. And yet, for us, as Christians, we know that None of those things are going to set things right. None of those things are going to fix completely where we're at. And so what does God promise? Well, in verses 3 through 6, we have the promise of a good shepherd and a just king. Verse 3, Then I will gather from the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our Righteousness. I love the way this reads because all of the action is on the part of God. He drove them out. That's, that's the crazy part. You read it and you're like, wait a second. He drove them out and now he's going to bring them back. Listen, the, the story of God is a story about God. It is not a story about us. We are characters in it, but we are not the main character. The story of God is, is Him driving people out and then Him bringing people back to show both His justice and His mercy. Both His righteousness and His compassion. And so we read that Jesus, that God drove them out and then He brings them back. But what does He bring them back to? Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. In your Bible, branch may be capitalized. It's saying that there is a particular branch that is coming, a particular person who God is talking about as He speaks through Jeremiah. Not one of several, but a one. The branch. Zechariah 6, 12-13 says this, and say to them, says, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. Again, branch is capitalized. For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. You see, this whole passage of Scripture shows the distinction between what the evil shepherds have done and what Yahweh will do. What God, what the Lord God is going to do. How He is going to establish once and for all a king who is just. A king who will deal wisely. A king who will execute justice and righteousness in the land. We just read it, Isaiah 
9, 6, and 7 as we begin our time this morning. But it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice. And with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this thing. That's awesome. That is what we want. We want to live in that place where justice is executed. Where righteousness is upheld. And yet at the same time, we don't want that. Because if if that king is just... And we just read that we are all perpetrators of injustice. And that means that we deserve the punishment and the wrath of that king. And it's serious. We gloss over it and think that it's no big deal because Jesus has come and he's paid it all. And and nothing but the blood and, and all of the songs that we sing and they're beautiful and they're true. But if we do not understand the reality of a just king who would execute justice and we have practiced injustice, we don't understand that we fall on the wrong side of this. We can long for justice when we are the ones that are having the sin against us. But we long for mercy when we are the ones who are sinners sinning against others. That's just true. So then what do we do? How can this be a hope? How can this be something that we look forward to and we're like, yes, I want that king and I want his justice and I want his righteousness. That's in verse 6. And it's right at the very end. It says, the Lord is our righteousness. You see, what the prophet Jeremiah is pointing to is the time when this baby would come and he would be born and he would walk perfect righteousness. In every squabble, in every uh, argument, in every place where he could lay down his life, he walked in perfect righteousness. All the way to the point of death. All the way, this this baby was born, he lived for 30-something years, and he died a sinner's death. Not because he deserved it. He was perfect. He was righteous. He was just. He was all of the things that the Bible points to and says, hey, when he comes, this is what he will look like. And yet we rejected him and we despised him. The people that he was coming to save. But that baby came and and grew to a man. Died on the cross for our sins. And at that moment. If we believe that, that his sacrifice was for us. Then at that moment atonement has been made on our behalf. For the people of God. For this people that he's bringing back. That he sent out and now he's bringing back to himself. He has made atonement. He suffered the death 
and paid the penalty that we deserved as perpetrators of injustice. He has shown us mercy. And the justice of God has been poured out on the Son. He drank the cup of wrath that you and I deserve. He was broken. He was rejected. He was separated from the Father so that we could be united to the Father. So that we could experience what that communion and what that relationship looks like with God Himself. The longing that all of us have to be made right, Jesus has done it. And so now He can say, the Lord is our righteousness. Because if we are in Christ, we no longer have our own righteousness. We have the righteousness of the one who has walked and paid it for us. That is on our record. That is who we are. And He took our sin. He took our injustice. He took our uh, anger, frustration, our sinning against each other. And He bore the punishment for that on the cross. I love what uh, Philip Ryken in his commentary on Jeremiah says. He says, back in chapter 5 of Jeremiah, God promised that he would forgive his people if Jeremiah could find just one good man. And so the prophet searched high and low, and he walked up the streets and down the alleys, but he could find not even one man to be righteous for the people. But in chapter 23, Jeremiah finally finds his man. This good shepherd, this son of David, the wise king will be righteous for his people in some way, perhaps even beyond Jeremiah's comprehension, the goodness, integrity, and moral perfection of the righteous branch would belong to God's people. His righteousness would be credited to their account. That's us. That's you and I today. If we are in Christ, that righteousness has been credited. Like this beautiful, wise king... His goodness, His integrity, His moral perfection has been granted to us. And we don't have any of that. We have glimpses of it, but we don't have it in its fullness. And yet it's been granted to us. We talked earlier. The reputation of God. We said, what will God be known for? And we see it in verses 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Stop there. All of the Old Testament, when they wanted to declare who was Yahweh, who was the Lord, who was the one God, the God above all gods, they would point to what He did to rescue His people. They would point to the exodus and Moses being raised up and how those people who were slaves and who were, who were beaten and abused, they were rescued out of that. And we know the stories. And if you don't, I'd encourage you to go back and read them. Read Exodus and read how God came and saved and delivered His people. How redemption and salvation was brought to a people who knew none. Because he used Moses like the last guy that you would think to use. He stuttered. He was a bad leader. He blamed a bunch of people for his own faults. He was a mess. God used him. He saved the people who were a mess. As you see, as they're saved out of what they once were, were in bondage to, 
They say, hey, can we just go back? It was better there. They're just dumb. And he did it in miraculous ways, the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and even, even destroying the enemies. It's, it's miraculous. It's amazing. And that's why they always would say, that Yahweh, that God, the one who rescued his people from Egypt. And yet Jeremiah is saying, no, but there's something better that's coming. That won't just be a rescue of a, of a, a single race of people. A single people in bondage. But there's going to come a day where God will bring all of his people. Will save all of his people. And will create for himself a people. And it's going to be a better renown. It's going to be a better reputation. It's going to be more glorious when God does that. See, the promise is something greater than the rescue from Egypt. And, and in light of this future thing, the glory of the God who rescued the people from Egypt would dim compared to it. What could be more miraculous, more amazing, more scandalous? What about a, a babe that comes and he's born in a manger? And there's not even enough room for him in an inn. And he comes with, with zero reputation. As a matter of fact, the only reputation he has is that of a bastard. That of someone who, who's not born legitimately. And so his reputation is next to nothing. And yet God would take him. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's born and he lives a perfect life. Completely under the radar. Nobody knows what he's doing until he comes on this scene and he begin, begins to heal and restore and make those things right that we long for. We talked about it in the beginning, that longing for things to be right. And Jesus comes and he heals. He heals not only physical, but he heals, heals spiritual. He heals emotional. He brings those who are outcasts and and on the outskirts, and he brings them in. And when you hear that, you begin to think about Jeremiah's proclamation of God himself bringing those people back, bringing them in. You see, the, the thing that God is going to do, he has done in Jesus. He has come himself and made a way to rescue his people. So now when we look to God and we point to the greatest thing that he's done, we don't go back to, to Egypt we don't go back to the saving of the Israelites because that was just a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what was actually going to happen that would take place that would rescue all of God's people. We look to the cross. We look to the greatest moment in history where Jesus himself laid down his life to save and rescue a people for himself. This is the glory that we see. But the Lord... They will no longer say as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But they will say this. As the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all of the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. 1 Peter 2.10 says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, in the cross, we who are not a people have become a people. We've been united with Christ, and we are the bride together. 
And we get to cling to that, the thing that cannot be taken away. See, this babe of no reputation, even before he was born, there was a proclamation made over him. In Luke 1, 32-33, the angel is speaking to Mary, and he's telling her, hey, this is what's going to happen. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. You see, that branch of David keeps coming back, and it weaves throughout all of these proclamations. In verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. See, not only do, are we promised a perfect kingdom, but we are promised a kingdom that will have no end. An eternal kingdom where everything is made right. And while we see glimpses of it now, we long and our, at, our hope is for an advent of a second coming where we will see face to face. This morning, our call is to Repentance. The call was to the shepherds who had led the people astray. It was also to the sheep who had gone astray of their own accord. To repent, to come back to God, to long for being made right. And yet we've longed to make things right. and we've Instead of going back to Jesus who has made that possible, we've tried to do it ourselves. We've tried to fix our children. We've tried to fix our own behavior. We've tried to um, fix society. We've tried to have better leaders. We've tried to be better leaders. And yet all of those things are going to lead us to, to emptiness. We will fail. We will still have a longing at the end of that. And so we need something outside of ourselves. And Jesus has come. And he has executed perfect righteousness. And then he has said that the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus has done this thing. And so we need to repent. And then we need to hope. We need to hope that today we would be ambassadors of that righteousness. That we would go and in our, in our relationships, we would rest upon the righteousness of Christ and then see that righteousness worked out by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see this the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus dwells in each one of us if we are in Christ. And so His righteousness is worked out in each one of us as we are conformed and transformed into His image. And so our hope is, is both a future hope and it's a present hope. God, would you continue today to change me? Would you continue today to make me more like you who walked in perfect righteousness? So we're called to repent and to hope. You see, just like Jeremiah in chapter 5, Paul echoed that same thing in Romans. It says, no, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, all of us included. Together we become worthless, no one does good, not even one. All of us need to repent of that. We need to hope in the work of Jesus what He has done on our behalf. And then He's invited us in to participate in what He's doing and restoring and recreating and making things right. We have this gift of righteousness and it's not a righteousness that's our own, it's an imputed righteousness. It's a righteousness that's been put into us by the work of the Savior. So today I pray that we would respond. We would respond both 
to the call to repent and we would respond to the call to hope. The call to believe. The call to rest in that righteousness. To live out of that righteousness. To see it worked in us, not for our glory, so that they would say, oh, that's a cool people. No, but they would say, that's a people with an incredible God. That's a people with an incredible Savior. That's a people that, is, that are both honest about who they are and, and even more honest about who their God is. So I pray that the Lord would do that in us today. Amen. God, we thank you. We trust you, Lord. Even as we long for justice and fear justice, Lord, we trust that your word is true. That you have both executed justice and you have um, received it on our behalf, Lord. For those that are in you, that you have received the punishment of sin. The death that was due us, you died, but you didn't stay dead. You rose victorious, Lord. And in your resurrection, you have proven the power to walk in a righteousness that is not ours. So, Lord, I pray that we would do that. And I pray that there would be those who need to hear the gospel, to need to hear this good news, and that today we would be able to share it with them. I thank you that you've shared it with us, a people that need to hear this good news. God, and that you've given us ears to hear and eyes to see today. Lord, we trust you. We thank you for who you are, how you're shaping, transforming, molding us into your image. And I pray that this season, the season of longing and hope, There's some here that are just in despair because it seems like life is, is not what you say it should be, that it is broken. Lord, I pray that they would find their hope in you, a very tangible, real hope, not in circumstances, but in a, in a truth that you are who you say you are, that you meet them in their need. God, would you do that for us today, for your glory? We thank you for the, the broken body and the shed blood that we would even now remember. God, that it is sufficient that you have paid it all, that your blood has washed away all of our sin. God, and we can stand before you holy and righteous. We love you. We thank you for today in Jesus' name. Amen.